My name is James Gleason, and I want to welcome you to the weekend teaching ministry of Sunrise Church here in Hillsboro, Oregon. Now, Sunrise is a church devoted to being a safe place to hear a life-changing message. And our vision is to lead people in a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. And so every weekend, we share a message of hope from God's Word, the Bible. Now, if you'd like to know more about discovering and growing in a relationship with the God who loves you, please take a moment to visit our website at www.isunrise.com. Now, from there, you can learn how to connect with the God who loves you. And you can learn how to grow with others along the journey of life. You can learn to develop a heart to serve the least, the last, and the lost. And finally, you can learn how to lead others to know Jesus Christ on this journey of disciples making disciples. And so now I invite you to follow along with our weekend message as you discover the heartbeat of God. So thankful that you're here on the 4th of July. Uh, My wife and I were in a church conference with some regional leaders around the nation, and we were in Lancaster, Pennsylvania, uh, Amish country, and we spent the week there, and we made it back to Philly on Thursday and Friday, and so we decided to uh, do some Philadelphia things. And knowing it was coming up to the 4th of July, it was especially meaningful. We got to visit Independence Hall uh, on Friday, which was July 2nd, which is actually the day, 245 years ago, our 13 colonies decided to declare independence, to to become treasonous, actually. And they knew that they would pay with their lives. And so they met and they made that decision a couple days later on the 4th. Today we celebrate the final wording of our Declaration of Independence was forged. I don't know if you read it. Every year I read it. And I read it this morning. And you think about people who had a hope of a free nation without tyranny. Uh, in, in their words, you know, taxation with representation or just no taxation, right? Uh, but the idea that they hoped for a place. We got to go over to see the Liberty Bell, and we got to walk around in those areas, see Betsy Ross's home, Ben Franklin's home, and walk around George Washington Square and see and think that 250-ish years ago, people were living without a hope. They were living here uh, in, you know, in a very real way, hoping for a change, hoping for something. And uh, we now today celebrate that hope that, that those those men and women, and especially those delegates of those colonies, they staked their life on it, and they knew that they could all be hanged because of it. But they did it because they believed in a hope, a hope of a free nation, of a democratic nation. And so what we see today as a nation is the result of that. And I want to think about hope today because hope is a very real and necessary part of our existence. Every one of us needs hope. Hope is that feeling that we get when, you know, we just kind of know that something's going to happen, right? I wrote down a couple thoughts. Uh, We hope, we say things like, I hope I get that job, or I hope he or she likes me, or I hope I get married, or I hope I have kids, or I hope my kids finally move out and get jobs, or you know what I mean? Or I hope my team makes it to the championship, which I'm an A's fan, so every year I hope, but that's all it is. It's hope dash to the ground. Uh, You know, one of the worst conditions any of us could have, though, is a feeling of hopelessness where hope is gone. 
And I know some of us have felt that in the last year plus. Uh, We've given up. It's been a challenge for us to have hope, to have optimism amongst all of the, just the challenges, the storms we've been through. And there's a verse that was resonating in my heart a couple weeks ago, and I've got it on the screen here, and it's from Proverbs 13, 12. Hope deferred, delayed, or not achieved. Hope deferred makes the heart sick. But a dream fulfilled is a tree of life. A dream fulfilled is a tree of life. You know what? If you have hope deferred, hope delayed, or hope cut off, it can just kill you as a human being. It can crush your soul. It can destroy you from the inside out. People have died of hopelessness. We think about our nation and the wars we've been in to protect freedom and liberty. We know that men and women have served to the point where they've been captured as as prisoners of war. And those POWs have gone into camp. And when you give up hope, you give up life. But as long as you have hope, you can keep living because you know there is a day coming when you will be free, when something will be changed. And in the last year and a half, we know a lot of people have had their hearts broken and there's been a lot of hope. Hopelessness. So maybe today, not today because it's 4th of July and you, well, yeah, you had hopes for 4th of July fireworks. Your hopes were deferred till next year, right? Uh, you had hopes maybe of a picnic, you know, hopefully that will. In fact, my, I'll give you my cell number, invite me. I want to go to a bunch of picnics today. Uh, no, you have this hope, right? This hope is put in something, but it's been a challenge this last year for us to have hope. And so we're doing a series this summer called Contagious Hope. So we can talk about this. Uh, do you feel hopeless in your relationships? Do you feel hopeless with a person? Do you hopeless, feel hopeless because you lost a person? Do you feel hopeless because a family situation is broken? It's been broken for years or it just shattered this last year with all of the storms we've had? Do you feel hopeless with your job or your finances? I mean, you know the litany of ways we could go down the list. There's a lot of reason today people feel hopeless. Their heart is sick because they don't have hope. And today, I want to fill you with hope, but not my kind of hope, the rah-rah hope, you know, the cheering kind of hope. I want to fill you with the hope that Jesus gives us. It's a living hope. Now, it's easy to give up. It's easy to give up on people. I would say it's easy to give up on God. Some of you have been praying and praying and praying over and over and over again throughout the days, throughout the months, throughout the years, and you haven't seen any change, any nudge in that person. You haven't seen any situation change with your job or your school or your work or neighbors still throwing trash on your side or, you know, doing whatever. It's hard sometimes when you want to have hope, but over and over and over and over again, you look and you go, it's just not happening, right? It's easy to have a heart that is sick because of the hopelessness that seeps into our life. The the reality is some of us are not where we wanted to be, right? Well, of course, I was listening to Springsteen this morning. And, you know, and it's just like not born in the USA. But this this line that I'm not the man I wanted to be. You know, you kind of have this dream of what your life's going to turn out to be. And some of you are old enough to look back and go, it it didn't turn out like I wanted it to. When I was 16, when I was 18, when I was 22, I had plans, I had dreams, I had hopes. And that didn't actually happen. And there's a hopelessness that can settle into your heart when you feel like there's nothing that's going to change. But I'm here to tell you that with God... All things are possible, and hope can come into your life, and hope can change you. If you put your hope in anything in this world, though, 
even in people. We talked about it last week. You prop your ladder against that wall. That may not be the best support for your life because you can't put that pressure on other people. You can't put that expectation on your boss or on your friends or on your mate. You just can't do that. That's not fair. They are made of feet of clay and they will fail you. That's life. That's the human existence. I was talking recently with someone who put their hope in a a pastor, a religious leader, and the fact was that person blew it up and now their hope is dashed. I'm like, you shouldn't have put your hope in a pastor. I've been your pastor since 1998 as senior pastor. Don't put your hope in me, right? Because I will fail you. I, I will fumble the ball, right? The reality is, is that if we put our hope in God, though, he will never, ever fail us. God does come through. Unfortunately, he doesn't always come through the way we want, right? When we want it, you know, even according to the Old Testament, we saw this a few weeks ago, even in our lifetime, sometimes he doesn't come through in this eternal existence. But remind ourselves again that we are not earthly, physical beings having a temporary spiritual experience. No, we are spiritual beings having a temporary earthly experience. That there is a life to come that God speaks about. Today I want to look at an amazing passage of scripture that I know will give you hope. And if not, then somebody needs to pinch you because you've fallen asleep already. Um, the reality is, if you were with us this last fall, we took a look at First Peter, the Apostle Peter, that leader of the church early on, and his first letter to those that were scattered, to those who were dispersed because of persecution, because they had received this message of Jesus. They had put their hope in Jesus as Messiah. Jews and Gentiles had said, yes, I'm going to follow it. And now the world was turning against them. The government was turning against them. It was becoming more and more difficult and challenging and discrimination and then persecution to the point even of death. And not long after Peter writes this, maybe two years or four, he himself dies on the, for the sake of Christ and doesn't even willing to be crucified the way that Jesus was. So they crucify him upside down because he's a humble servant of Jesus. And he wants to write to encourage people who are feeling the pinch and the pain of a hopeless situation. And it's a beautiful text. It's in 1 Peter 1, 3 to 6. And it says this. I'm going to read the whole thing. We'll make some comments. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us a new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade, kept in heaven for you who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. If you've had to suffer grief in trials this last year or this last couple years, or for some of you, you say, it's kind of like my life, (laughs) I want you to know there's a reason for hope. There's a reason for rejoicing. Not because, again, you check your brains at the door and just go, okay, I'm going to go spiritual and forget all the real stuff in life, the reality. I'm just going to pretend. No, no, no. This is not, this is not what Mark said, which was the opiate of the masses, where if we could just keep people drugged up on religion, it'll keep them fine and keep them happy, keep them working, right? No, no, no. This is a reality. This is a reality of a living hope through Jesus Christ. So Peter begins with this. I just want to kind of walk through the passage. He says, praise be to the God and Father, our Lord Jesus Christ, in his great mercy. 
He has given us a new birth. Now, I, I'm here to tell you that, man, you look good. Some of you look awesome. I love the red, white, and blue. That's great. Uh, some of you might need to tone it down a little bit. Some of you might have forgotten what day it is, and you didn't wear any red, white, and blue. You need to get pinched, right? Like on St. Patrick's Day when you don't wear green. But no matter what you look like on the outside, no matter how impressive you are in your life, no matter how many things you've done in this earthly existence, no matter how much you've done for God or for his church, none of that matters because you didn't make it. You didn't earn it. You didn't deserve it. God in his great mercy has looked down upon you and me and seen our broken sinful condition and said, I want to show grace. I want to show mercy. I want to show love. I want to pick that one. You're like, me? Yeah, nobody else picks me. We're like the kid, you know, in elementary school where the last picked in the line to play, you know, some kickball, right? That's all of us. The Bible says we're all spiritually broken. We're spiritually distant from God because of our sinfulness and our sinful actions, our behavior, and just the very makeup of who we are. And yet God in his great mercy. I hope you wake up on a day like today. Maybe tomorrow you need to write this down and just say, God, it's only your mercy. It's only your great mercy that allowed me to wake up again, to give me breath, to give my heart another day of beating. I want to do it for you. God, today I need your mercy. I need your gospel. I know there's a bunch of pagan people out there that are worse of me. I know you could probably name them by name. You can probably point in the auditorium here. I know you can, but the fact is, is that you can look up to God every morning and say, God, it's not about what I've done for you. It's about what you've done for me. You have given me a new birth because of your great mercy. Don't ever walk out. Don't ever walk this world thinking, man, God is, he's lucky to have me. Woo. He got the deal of all deals. When, he, when I prayed that prayer, he won. Like, that's not how it works, folks. We're like the booby prize, okay? But he loves us. And in his great mercy, he has looked upon you and he has given you a new birth. A new birth, that's kind of cool because that reflects when Peter was with the other disciples and Jesus was there walking on the earth. Remember, Jesus has an encounter with a man named Nicodemus in John chapter 3. Nicodemus is a religious man. He's a Pharisee. He's a teacher of Israel. He knows a lot, right? He knows a lot. And he's having this conversation with Jesus. And, and Jesus says, you must be born again. You must have a new birth. And Nick's like, uh, first, hold on, slow down. I'm an old guy. My mom's probably dead. I'm supposed to go back in her womb. Doesn't work like that. He's like, no, no, no. Do you not understand? There's physical stuff and then there's spiritual stuff. And physically, we're all born. You, you, you've all been born. You know that. If you didn't realize it, thank you. You've all been born. You can thank your mom and dad for that, right? Or blame them, one of the two. And you've been born, and you were born into a physical life. And you've lived this physical life. And Jesus had said to Nicodemus and to you and me that you must be reborn, born from above, born spiritually. And, and I would have to say that one of the challenges of my life as your pastor is to know. I, I wish there was like a little gauge, you know, of spiritual life, you know. Wouldn't that be cool? Or not, you know. Wouldn't that be a little bit, you know, like in the far side. I love the far side. I'm one of those far side guys on Facebook. There's a far side group I'm in every day. And the one where the guy walked out of the bathroom and it didn't wash, wash, didn't wash, you know what I mean? It's like, you know, it's like, oh, I've been found out. Wouldn't it be awesome to know with certainty that when we looked in the mirror, we looked around us, that we have received a new birth or not. I think you know it, because the Bible says that God's spirit confirms with you that you've been born again, and just coming to church doesn't make you born again. 
But coming to Jesus makes you born again. In fact, statistically, the longer you come to church without receiving Christ, the longer it is you will reject Christ because you form this idea of religion and Jesus is not interested in religion. He's interested in a new birth relationship where you receive him, you put your trust in him, and you are given a new birth. Now, you may not look different on the outside. Hopefully on the outside, you're nicer. God's working on you. But the fact is, it is a spiritually new birth process. In my life, when I received Christ, I remember I was 15 years old. And um, I just, I thought maybe something would be different. I'd have less acne. My hair would be different. It just didn't, you know, my nose would be smaller. I don't really know. But it didn't. You know, I received Christ when I was December 1979, 15. And yet I saw an internal change happen in me. And the process began. The Bible speaks of this new birth as a three-step process where, where there's a past where you're justified, you're made right with God because of what Jesus did on the cross. That's when you receive the message. But meanwhile, while we're here on the earth, we're being sanctified. We're being made more and more into his likeness, into his image, conformed, the Bible says, into Christ, not being conformed to the world, but conformed to Christ. And then one day we'll pass on, Jesus will come back and we'll receive glorified bodies like our Lord Jesus did. And we will finally have that full completeness of our salvation. That's that process. But sometimes it's hard to see the journey, right? Sometimes it's hard. My wife and I are blessed to have three sons, 19, 17, and almost 16. And I'm telling you, it's, I just love them to death. It's, it's fun. Sometimes it's frustrating. Sometimes we frustrate them. But the fact is, one of the coolest things as of late is to see that they're all taller than me. They, they, they surpassed my wife a long time ago in height. But it's so cool. A couple weeks ago, we were praying for Ian and Josiah. I'm like, what happened to you, you know? You ever have that moment where you look at your kids or you look at maybe your nieces or nephews or grandkids? You're like, how did you get so tall? What was this summer, right? That must have hurt. It's kind of like that spiritually. We're given a new birth, but there should be a transformation and a change. And I know you can't always see it, but you need to look back and go, Jesus, you have changed me. You've given me more hope. You've given me more life. You've given me more love. The fruit of the Spirit, the love, the peace, the joy, the kindness is exhibited more in my life. If you're not seeing a change, I don't think you have been changed, okay? But he says here, praise be in his great mercy. He has given us a new birth into, here's what I want to talk about, a living hope. A living hope. It's an inheritance that can never pass away. A living hope. What is our living hope? Well, I believe that when we come to faith in Christ, our hope changes. That's one thought of it. Our vision changes. Our purpose changes. Our reality changes. We get a new true north. We get a new compass set in our lives. We gravitate towards something that's new. Think about it with me. I want to read this. I wrote it down this week. The course of your life is being set by what you hope in the most. The course, the journey, the direction of your life is being set by what you hope in the most. I was talking to Josiah. He was on the back of the motorcycle. We were riding and kind of talking him through with headsets. He wants to get his endorsement and get a, get a bike, much to the chagrin of my wife uh, and, and the lament and all these other bad words. Um, but um, I'm talking about things and I'm, we're going around and taking him over to Newburgh for coffee and going over uh, Bald Peak, the curves. I love the curves. That's why I got a bike. And I'm like, okay, remember, here's, remember the thing. It's not like, you remember what I taught you? This is very important. Don't look where you're going. Look through the turn. Look beyond. Because if you put your eyes on where you're going, you're going to get off. And that could be painful or deadly. Look to where you're going in the future, not where you are right now. Look beyond what is today. But your hope, your life, 
are combined. And what you put your hope in is what you're going to become and where you're going to be. That's why our new birth is so profound, because it gives us an indestructible hope. It takes our eyes off of the false, failing hopes of this world and gives us something. I mean, we all got desires, right? We've all got wishes. We've all want meaning, significance. We want security, purpose, belonging. Those are all good things. We all want those things. We want to love. We want to be loved. We want to be in relationship with people. That's awesome. Everybody wants that. The question is, how are you going to get it? And according to what we've read and we've seen even in the last year, if you go for something else, it's a lesser and it will disappoint and fade. But when you believe in Christ, when you turn to God, the desires are truly fulfilled. Today we look around, we see people put their hope in career and accomplishments. I've got a list, politics and status and love and identity and family and beauty and pleasure. Everyone's heart chooses something and someone to put their hope in. But their ability to actually deliver is a false hope. But God's ability to deliver is a living hope. You and I have been born again into a living hope. It's not just a hope, it's a living hope. And that contrasts from a dead hope. A dead hope is when you've given up all hope. The heart is sick. The hope is deferred. When you put your hope in something and it was never realized, it never could be realized, it failed you. When your hope is dashed to the ground, dashed down to the rocks, that was a dead hope. A living hope means it gains strength, it grows. The more you walk with God, it actually expands your heart for other people and for God. It looks forward to an eager anticipation of knowing God, seeing God face to face, of being changed by God in this lifetime. When you base your conviction and hope on God, you will be rewarded, the Bible says. We base our hope on the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's the thing. We base our hope in the fact that Jesus has already died and gone ahead of us. But he didn't just die. He rose again. And because he rose again, we have a hope that's not dead. We have a hope that's living because Jesus is living. So follow with me. What is it? His great mercy Not our deserved nature, not all of our cool stuff we've done for God and others. His great mercy has given us a new birth. We have a new life. It's born from above. We're reborn spiritually into a living hope. That living hope now, even though life can be painful and difficult, and we don't know anything compared to people around the world who are followers of Jesus or people in the first 300 years of followers of Jesus, right? But it can be painful today. Your situation is real. It can be painful. You have a living hope that comes because Jesus rose again from the dead, and now it says he's given you an inheritance. An inheritance is something you don't get now. An inheritance is something you get later. The inheritance back in the Bible days was a place, the land of Israel, that land of promise. They were hoping for that because that was the inheritance God was giving his people. Today, we're not really looking for a place. We're looking for a person. Our inheritance is Jesus. There will be a new place, a new heaven and a new earth, but it's because Jesus is going to be there. So we no longer have an inheritance about the things we can see Today, but what we're going to see in the future, the Bible says, when we see him face to face and we will be like him when our lives are transformed. Peter used these words to talk about a sure hope. He says it's inheritance. And first of all, he uses the word, it's not going to perish. It will never perish, which means it's never going to be ruined. It's never going to disappear. 
Then he says it's never going to spoil. Means it'll never be unfit. It'll never become polluted. It's always going to be pure. And then he says it will never fade. Meaning it'll never lose its glory or freshness. It's always going to be a beautiful thing for us. God has given us a inheritance that will never perish, spoil, or fade. That starts now with a new birth. It's a living hope for our lives because of Jesus' resurrection. And we have a future we're waiting for, an inheritance of God. Let me remind you, you don't deserve any of this. You didn't work for any of us and God go, okay, you've done enough. You've been enough church services, endured enough sermons. You get in. It's not like that, okay? It's not like that. It's your, your fact you're just receiving his mercy. You're just opening up your hands and saying, God, I didn't do any of this. I didn't build this with my hands or my heart. But I'll welcome it and I'll receive it. No matter what happens to you here on the earth, your inheritance waits in heaven. If you remember the words of Jesus, I don't have it on the screen, but I want to read it to you. Jesus said in his great sermon on the mount, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth. And he says, where the moths and rust will destroy, where thieves will break in and steal, but store up for yourself treasures in heaven, because that is the inheritance. Because wherever you put your treasure, that's where your heart's going to be. The living hope should cause us to rejoice, he says here. We're shielded by faith in this salvation that's going to be revealed. In this you greatly rejoice. We have joy, though now for a little while we've had to suffer grief. Followers of Jesus, we have the weirdest paradox. We experience suffering and grief, but at the same time we have joy. We experience some of the same pain everybody else experiences. Because of the internal living hope we have, we can look at that and we can shout out with joy because God is bigger than that problem. You can have your marriage fall apart. You can have someone close to you die. You can have to declare bankruptcy and lose everything and be living on the street. And if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you have a living hope, a hope that's alive because Jesus rose from the grave. And now you can have a great joy even though you've lost everything. People in the world don't have that hope. They have a dead hope. But we have a living hope. The resurrection of Jesus is what we hang our hat on. The Apostle Paul wrote this. I'm going to go to another passage of Scripture in 1 Corinthians to a group of people who had forgotten that, who had given up on that. And I want to read it to you. He says here to these Corinthian believers, he says, But tell me this, since we preach that Christ rose from the dead, we hang all of our hat on that, everything, hang our coat, we hang our life on the fact that Jesus rose from the dead. Why are some of you saying there'll be no resurrection? You've gotten your eyes off of the eternal things the spiritual things, and you put them down here, you're trying to figure it all out yourself. For if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, then all our preaching is useless, and your faith is useless. I'll tell you this personally. If Jesus hasn't come back from the dead, you should vacate the room right now and go get a burger, because that's the best I've got for you is a burger. If Jesus didn't rise from the grave, we're all foolish. And my preaching has been in vain for all these years. And we apostles would be lying about God, for we have said that God raised Christ from the grave. He goes on to say this, but that can't be true if there is no resurrection from the dead. And if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ has not been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then your faith is useless, and you're still guilty of your sins. In that case, all who have died believing in Christ are lost. And if our hope in Christ is only for this life, we are to be pitied more than any anyone in the world. And he wraps it up with this. But in fact, our hope is in Christ. Christ has been raised from the dead. He is the first of a great harvest of all who have died. The reality of this is this. Peter 
was a man that put his hope in Christ. Think about Peter. Think about the early followers of Jesus. You've got James and John and Andrew and Nathaniel and Mary and Martha and all these people. They're following Jesus. Jesus has come on the scenes and they've heard that Jesus could be the Messiah and they're starting to have hope. Why? Because they're in a hopeless situation. The Roman authorities have conquered their nation. They're extracting incredible taxes, taxation without representation, right? They're looking for a 4th of July freedom. They're looking to be set free and they get wind that Jesus just could be Messiah, the anointed by God, the one we've been waiting for who's going to deliver us from our oppressors, going to free us from slavery and they begin to hear him and they follow him and they they sit with Jesus as he teaches. They stand with him and they walk with him as he does the miracles and as he just lives life with them. They journey with Jesus and every moment they see a miracle, their hope lights up. I don't know if you've been watching The Chosen, but I love it when in The Chosen, when Jesus is healing people, you see the hope just spring forth in those disciples because that was it. We already know the book. We already know the ending 2,000 years later. We, we don't read it the same way, but they were like, could this really be the Messiah? And their hope grows brighter and brighter and bigger and bigger and they walk with him and they'd see Jesus do all these incredible things and then he sends them out and they do incredible things and their hope is sky high. They have this incredible hope that Jesus is going to deliver them from their oppressors, free them from slavery and then as the epitome of it, the peak of it, he's going into Jerusalem. The crowds are worshiping him. They're waving the palm branches. They're laying their coats down as Jesus is coming in on this, this colt, this donkey And as he comes in, they're like, this is it. All our hope is going to culminate. He's going to stand there at the temple. He's going to declare himself to be Messiah. And we're all going to rally around him. We're going to overthrow the Romans. And it didn't happen like that. Because as they were praying in a garden, the Jewish priests and the Romans came to grab him. And they capture him. And their hopes are starting to, to quake a little bit. Because Jesus has been hauled off to court, what we call a kangaroo court, where it's not fair. It's not fair. And then we're afraid, and we run. Some of us stick close to see, some of us hide, right? And our hopes are beginning to to waver. The light of our hope is beginning to diminish. And then we see Jesus bloodied and bruised as the crowd is yelling, crucify him, crucified. And our hopes are just shattered in that moment. Our hopes are falling apart. And then we see Jesus as he carries a cross up that hill to Calvary, to Golgotha. And as he's planted there and nailed there and he dies there on the cross, all of our hope is gone and we run and we scatter and we hide. And for three years, we have seen him in ministry and all our hopes have been in this. And now we're going to go into hiding for three days. And Jesus is gone. And Joseph, one of the wealthier disciples, asked permission to take Jesus' body down from the cross. And Joseph and the women take Jesus' body down from the cross and they clean his body up and they lay him in a brand new tomb, a grave Joseph's tomb that he had carved, had carved out for himself. And as he puts Jesus' body there and they do what they can do to prepare the body for the year of waiting till the bones and the flesh begin their decaying process. As they wrap the body up with spices, they don't even have time. 
Their hopes diminished. It's too late. It's Sabbath. They've got to go. Joseph has the tomb sealed up. Later, the Romans put a seal on it. And as they go back, they're waiting in darkness because all of their hope is gone. Even though Jesus had said several times over and over again, I'm going to rise from the grave, they didn't get it. You know, how, you know how we know for sure they didn't get it? Because on that Sunday morning, the ladies went with the spices, the perfume. They were going to anoint the body of a dead man. Their hope was dead. All hope was gone. They had put their hope in God and it had failed. And as they get there, the tomb has exploded, right? The, the, the rock has been rolled or thrown away, right? And somebody said it this way. God probably didn't remove the rock for Jesus to get out, okay, but for the disciples to get in, right, to see that Jesus was indeed gone. And they're confused. They're, they're just kind of in this tumult because they don't know what's going on. But they were going to anoint the body of a dead man. The body's gone. And in that moment, these angels show up and say, why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not there. He is risen. Christ has been raised from the dead. In fact, Christ has been raised. He says, he told you all of this while he was still in Galilee. The Son of Man must be delivered in the hands of sinful men, be crucified on the third day, be raised again. This tiny bit of hope began to flicker. This flame began to grow as these ladies ran back the disciples who were hiding. And they said, he's not there. He's gone. He's resurrected. The angels have told us this. And, and, you know, they're not quite believing it. So, you know, they run back to the tomb and they go in the tomb. Peter's one of the guys. He's standing outside. Not quite sure yet. John just like barrels right in. And then they look and they see he's not there. And their hope begins to grow again. But it's confusing, right? They go back and they're in an upper room and Jesus appears to them. And their hope is flickering and their hope is beginning to grow. And then he says, go into Galilee. And he meets with them. And you see for 40 days he's with them and he's eating and he's talking and he's preaching this message about the kingdom and their hope is burning brighter than ever, ever before because if Jesus can come and he can do miracles and he can preach and teach the way he did, if he can stand up to the Romans and stand up to the religious people and he can prophesy he's going to die and resurrect himself and he does it, I'm with that guy, right? That's incredible hope. Anybody that says they can do all that and actually pulls it off, I'm with that guy. And so now... Jesus ascends to heaven and he gives them the message, which is now to you and me, go into all the world, make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I am giving you. I'm with you to the ends of the age because all authority has been given to me. Why? Because I have come back from the grave. And that is a hope that you and I have. It's called a living hope. It's a real hope. Peter becomes the leader of this church. And 30 years later, he writes the words we read earlier to a group of people whose hope was beginning to flicker, whose hope was beginning to fade, whose hope was beginning to wonder, was it a living hope? Or perhaps it's a dead hope. And Peter says, it's a living hope because we have a living Jesus. Now, here's my question, and I'm going to close with this. Do you really, and I mean it, do you really believe in a risen Jesus? I mean, scientifically, as we deem things, medically, as we understand things, absolutely impossible. But God pulled it off because he's bigger than us. He's bigger than our science. He's bigger than our math. He's bigger than our anatomy. He's bigger than anything. And it said, Christ has been raised 
from the dead. And because of that, we have a living hope. Because of his great mercy, his great mercy, not how cool you look today. Thank you, by the way. That's awesome. Now, how nice you are. I applaud you for that. Because of his great mercy, he has given us a new birth into a living hope, which results in an eternal inheritance that's kept safe, secure, waiting for the day when Christ comes back or we see him again. It can never perish, spoil, or fade in his unchanging arms. And so my question for you is, do you really have a reason to celebrate today? And I'm not talking about our nation. I'm talking about Jesus. Because if you don't really believe he rose from the grave, you don't have a reason to celebrate In fact, I don't even know why you're here because our faith is useless at that point. It's dead and you have a dead faith and a dead hope. My prayer is that today, if you've never done it, you put all your hope, you put all your stock, you put all your security, all your retirement in Jesus, the one who came back from the grave and who now gives you and me the ability to have a living hope. Pray with me. Father God, I want to thank you for Jesus, the one who not just came and taught and loved and served and healed and did miraculous things, but who came to die on a cross for our sins, to cover with his own blood all of our brokenness and sinfulness. And even though he died and even though all hope was gone, shattered, it was dead, and our hearts were sick, Three days later, he rose from the grave, and we now have a living hope because of your great mercy and the new birth you've given us. And we look forward to the anticipation of an inheritance that is secure and safe. It's never spoiled, rot. It's not going to fall apart. It's not going to get lost. It's not going to be destroyed. It's not going to be stolen. It's secure in Jesus. And so we have a living hope. May we be that living hope today. If we've never received this message, if we've never said yes to Jesus, the one who rose from the grave, We put our hope in you today, God. We say yes to following Jesus. Yes to the Jesus who loved me in spite of my brokenness and sin. Yes to the Jesus who secured my salvation on the cross. Yes to the Jesus who defeated the powers of hell by dying and raising again by his own power. We say yes to him in your name. Amen.